Welcome to Startup Camel. Today, Amir Taroya is in the studio to share about his startup, Takora, making voice technology the new user interface. This episode is sponsored by Rise Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's number one space for fintech. Rise Tel Aviv offers office space, mentorship, and fintech events on a nightly basis. Have a fintech company or want to get involved? Contact them today at www.thinkrise.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Startup Camel. I'm your host, Adir Freilich, coming out of Mindspace in the center of Tel Aviv, Israel, where we have the best hummus and falafel in the world. Today, we are visited by Amir Tsaroya, founder of a voice tech startup called Tequora. Let's just get right into it. What is Tequora? Give us your elevator pitch. Well, first, Adir, thank you for this opportunity. It's indeed the cool place. Not sure about the hummus, but... We can take it after. You can find better hummus outside of Tel Aviv. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Let's take it offline. So, Tukur, we are making voice work accurately. We have developed a solution that allows any customer or partner in almost any segment and use case to integrate a voice interaction into his solution. So, essentially, we are providing a software component easily implemented, making any customer and use case having their users using voice interaction in any language, and accurate. In any language, that's yeah. actually amazing. I mean, as soon as I hear voice commands, I think Siri, you know, I'm yeah. an iPhone guy. Is it implementing Siri, I mean, specifically, or is no. it their own thing? Like, is it to take in voice? So let me address the Siri or VPA, virtual personal assistant. It's because it's a great question. And one of the things that I keep hearing recently that many people from Israel say, we've learned how to talk to Siri so that it will understand us. And I find this hilarious on one side and... It doesn't pick up on the Israeli accent. Yeah. So when I say, uh, remind me to call someone in front of my Israeli friends, they're all like, oh, it listens to you. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly. It works. <laughs> it and, works. And that's, that's the thing. And since it's, it's very sensitive to accent and context and background noises, it will not be accurate. And what happens is that we as human beings are modifying our behavior in order for the machine to understand that. And it's not the way it should work. No, it doesn't sound right. Right. And what we do is we process information within the context. So we have a, a cloud-based contextual processing engine that takes this, the information that the user is saying and give back the result or process that and send back the result that is accurate. So even if you are not saying exactly what the system is planning you to say, still we provide an accurate result. So it's intaking Hebrew, English. What other languages? Just curious. So we support any language with some limitations for symbol-based, Chinese, Japanese, etc., which will be supported uh, later. And it's basically a way to kind of teach the machine to pick up on the accent or the voice or the language or anything, basically, so that they can now, they're going to have Chinese users and they want the Chinese users to be able to talk to the application. So you're able to create that back-end service for them where they can add that service to their application. Almost exactly right. We are not teaching or learning the server, kind of training the server approach, which is one of the approaches within the voice domain solutions. But our solution is dynamically processing the information within the context. So we don't need to have an early learning curve or training the system or preparing the backend. We just, once you plug in our SDK, our software component within your application or solution, it just knows. It just knows. It just works. Wow. It yeah. sounds pretty smart and advanced. Yeah. I mean, wow. these SDKs, you know, the, the future. The way I got to you is through Erez Lugashi, and he just released his SDK to some companies, so yeah. should be doing some interesting stuff. Let's just pause Tukoro stuff for a moment because I'd like to hear along the journey along to entrepreneurship. Were you like motivated early on as a kid? Like were you a lemonade stand kid or a late bloomer? 
Well, after the army, after my university degree, I went to learn psychology and Jewish philosophy. So I guess I will follow for the late bloomer kind of approach. And yeah, I worked with several different type of technology companies along the years. And I always felt that it's the, you know, it, it's going to be the time for me to do something on my own. And once, you know, the stars arranged in the right place and it was the right time for us, we started this uh, the venture. So Tukoro is your first startup? Correct. What was your first actual business idea? Maybe you didn't apply it or open it, but did you have something early on that worked on? Or- no, actually, we started when we first thought about of the idea was it was pretty much what we're doing today. We did some changes along the way to more of adjusted to the business or to the market that we felt it was more accurate to do so. Okay. How and when did you come up with the idea for Tukuro? Well, one of the founders happened to be in a hospital for some time and he, in Israel, and he noticed that doctor doesn't speak or talk or interact with the patient. He just comes into the treatment room, take the chart, try to understand what his previous doctor wrote, which can be very challenging, write something down and goes, and then it goes on and on. And it brought the idea that what will happen if the doctor can diagnose the, the patient and talk to a system which will synchronize the entire hospital environment, the EOP or whatever, back office system. So everything falls in, in place. Then we have a much tighter patient-doctor interaction, more human, and it will work accurately, etc., etc. Cool. What is the origin of the name Tukuro? I mean? Yeah, great. So Tukuro comes from the word speaker in the Maori language, which is the native New Zealand language. Speaker, like a talking uh, talker. Yeah. 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 There's a word that makes sense in a different language. We talk a lot about some financial stuff for the startup world. It's interesting, and I know that you guys are in an accelerator. Or did you finish the accelerator? No, we graduated. We graduated uh, the accelerator. Year. Which accelerator? Jerusalem-based accelerator called A to B. Okay. Maybe we can discuss a little bit about it. Did they supply you with any funds, or you're all bootstrapped from your own pockets, basically? We are all bootstrapped. They supply you basically with support. I mean, talk yeah. about a little bit of the accelerator experience. Was it great? Was it useful? Did you connect to people? That kind of stuff. Sure, sir. The Accelerator experience was very good. It allows us to learn the things that we didn't know. It sometimes helps us to realize things that we don't know, that we even didn't know we don't know. So Those are kind the of, most dangerous things, actually. Yeah, exactly, especially in this, in, in this you know, journey. And it did a, a great job in opening up new opportunities, whether it is you know, delegations coming from China, meeting people from Europe, some visibility to competition that we can apply and maybe win prizes, etc. And of course, all the things that in the middle that helps you build a company, whether it is learning how to protect your IP, what type of agreement you need to have on the legal side, how to build your company financial plans, etc. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how much money you've invested at this point with the bootstrap process? Yes. Well, we estimate our direct, like what we call the in-pocket investment from the founder is approximately 100k US, not including seeking... the sweat money, etc. Fair, fair. Are you seeking funds right now? Are you looking to expand, basically? Like, have you been sitting with VCs and stuff like that every day? Or Yeah, so first we have a lot of opportunities on our plate, which we develop. Some are very close to get successfully like closed. closed. Yeah, deal closed. And, so you um, might be profitable and maybe don't need the money necessarily. Yes, but it's a very dangerous part because we needed money in order to get out of the valley of death. And on the other hand, external money will help us 
cross this valley and help us grow much faster. And this industry moves very fast, especially the voice, if you look at what happened in the last 18 months, which I guess we'll talk later. So yes, we are looking for uh, investment, not a huge investment because, again, we are mature, we, the product is working, we start to distribute it, and it will help us cross this period. So you have all the necessary documents that say in place, business model, assumptions, and all that stuff. Why do you want money? What, what do you want to spend the money on once you get it, let's say? You know, when you're sitting in an investor meeting, they want to know where the money's going, runway, all that stuff. So what's the main focus for the money? Because how much are you seeking and where will you spend it? So we're seeking a small ticket of five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars, which is a reasonable uh, seed. It's uh, very, very small in the world of seed money, really. Exactly, <laughs> and this will help us close several major deals we are working on. Since we are active in a, our customers are mostly corporate. The cycles there are longer, and this money will help us on one hand close these deals, finalize some aspects of the product that we will need to improve. For instance, supporting Chinese is an effort that we are not focusing right now because it requires a lot of investment of time and money. So that we are looking to raise a seed investment in order to close these deals, penetrate more market, generate more uh, opportunities. Cool. How did you come up with the assumptions in the financial model that you have? You know, a lot of times people are just coming up with randomness based on the market that it is throwing shit at the wall seeing what sticks so which is an, an interesting approach but yeah, yeah it might work it's like the most commonly used approach i think because how could you really know what kind of money you'll generate or what kind of tap into the market that you can have i mean it's impossible to predict these kind of things it could be a huge it could be nothing you know what i mean right it's an excellent question it goes to other parts of this journey not just which financial and go to market and uh, license model but also are you a product or a service etc etc and the answer is that being small and young company it allows us to pivot a lot of times and very fast not just in the business idea, but also the license model. For instance, in our world, are you charging for per user kind of service or per transaction kind of service and so on. Then to answer the specific question, when we work in the ecosystem that we work in, which is using a very classic per user per month subscription license model, we try to follow that model and yet have the flexibility to adjust it to different trends within the industry. So today we offer two types of models because we have different types of customers. One is a classic per user per month and in a, depending on the, on the usage. Another is a transaction-based where we sell packages that, again, the customer can move from one package to another every now and then. Any interactions with the world of VR? Because, you know, VR is doing a lot of voice commands because the whole idea is that there's a hands-free aspect to it. Sometimes you have a device, but still, you know, you're doing so much voice command, it would make sense to be in that space. Yet again, an excellent question. It is very tied to the vision that we see for the company. Because when we look on the voice enablement or the voice domain as a whole in the world, the way it moves, we identified two major segments that will be active in the years to come, actually in like 12 or 18 months. One is exactly what you mentioned, the gaming within the VR environment. We know that this industry today is very focused on making the visual work perfectly, which makes sense. But again, if you offer some games in the like the 360 
world where you have your mobile device attached to your eyes and you need to switch something, you take off the mobile device, you touch it, and then you plug it in back and it doesn't make sense. And the technology is there. In terms of technology, we can already be there. I think that the industry itself is not fully ready to move to that step, but it will go there very soon. And another vision that we have is the e-commerce and more specifically the advertisement environment. Advertisement platforms are looking continuously for the next new thing and interactive voice advertisement is what we think will be the next. Sounds interesting. During the fundraising process right now, give us like a really tough question that you're being asked. Well, there are several, but that's okay. It's part of the game. It's their... Uh, They're trying to trick you off a little bit, I'm try sure. To trick us up. <laughs> and it's one of the, the things that strikes me most is Usually it's uh, venture capital. They are in the business of risking money in order to make a lot of money. And many of the questions that we get is surrounding the idea of they trying to frame the risk and reduce the risk. So it's uh, for me, it's a bit contradicting. And yet one of the challenging questions are why you are better or different from what Amazon and Google are doing. Like the, all the giants of the world today are in the same business or the same playground. And in your technology landscape, why you will succeed and why they will not do what you do. And the answer is, we have three main differentiators. One is accuracy. As I mentioned with the Siri example, it's a classic example and it works everywhere. If you sit in a dark room speaking perfect English, you will probably get it going. But the real world is not like that, as we know. A second is that our solution is very simple to integrate or to implement and to get a very high accurate result. I mean, you can take Google or Amazon Lex APIs and implement them, but then as a company, you will have to have the skill set requires to implement these APIs mm. to the level that will make it accurate. And the third is the data. You are using one of the giant's platform. Your data, your customer's data is there. They are talking to the platform and it's there. You might use it, but they also are using it. And we know that mainly in Europe recently, customers, even consumers are very concerned about privacy issues. And we provide, although we are a cloud-based solution, we provide full control over the data for our customers. We can analyze them for them. We can provide additional services of the data itself, but it's not like we are using the data for our own needs and to make a profit out of it. Gotcha. But you're losing out on that data. Isn't the future about big data? Like maybe, although you want to make it a differentiator and this whole privacy aspect, I mean, at the same time, you're missing out on maybe a huge business opportunity for yourself. So I think that making business out of data, which is not mine, is not the right way to go. And we do plan to work with this data, but for our customers. So they can get additional services like non-analytics. Morals and business. It's a very refreshing thing to hear. (laughs) (laughs) We do try. Give us a great marketing tip. You know, you have to market out your products. You're trying to get customers. Are you, you guys are profitable already or you are working on profitability? No, we're working on profitability. We're not generating enough revenues to be there, but we just started. So how are you marketing Tukoro? Like, what are you doing? Give us a good marketing tip. Well, first tip, and it's related to marketing and to starting your venture, I would say that one of the first things you have to do when you start your venture is invest in a proper marketing collateral the one pager executive summary presentation invest money in it although you are smart you might not be a marketing professional if you are then okay but most of the people are not and they think they can do and i'm talking from experience and it takes a while and you are wasting valuable time marketing appearance 
presentation is important and you have to invest money in it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, any service in the world that's available and affordable for me to make my life better, it makes sense to pay the professionals. I mean, I joke around a lot with my friends like for cleaning. Like, I don't like to clean. I'm not good at it. I'm wasting my valuable time doing it. So I hire a cleaning lady, you know, at the end of the day. Something as simple as that, but agreed. Like, in the world of marketing, if you're not a marketing genius, why not get marketing geniuses, you know? Because you said you're a bit of a late bloomer, you work for some other companies, now your Tucro is your first venture on your own. Tell us the difference between working for someone else's company versus now working for yourself. Well, there is the roller coaster effect. <laughs> when you work for yourself, it's a daily uh, roller coaster. Sometimes can be very deep and high. So there are a lot of challenges when you're doing something for yourself that you wake up to every morning and it's a, an entirely different mental status from being an employee then to having your own company it puts all aspects of life in it your family your obligations your bank account your future your self-esteem and we can go on and on and you have to be prepared for that so for one end working in a company especially if it's a good company it's great you have a lot of friends there you enjoy working for them you learn a lot But at the end of the day, you're working for someone else, and it's great, and it was a good part of my professional life, and I enjoyed that and learned a lot. But I think that making something of your own, it doesn't work for everyone, although in Israel it seems like everyone are doing startup. But it is something that I find, it, although challenging, very satisfying, and well, we all work to make it work, so... In the past, when I asked this question, someone that I interviewed said this, like, when you're working at a company, you're working to make someone else's dream come true. When you're working for yourself, you're working on your own dream, you know? And I think that it comes with the roller coaster effect, obviously, of the ups and downs. But as long as you're able to stay optimistic and you're working on something you believe in and you see the future of solving problems, it's a great thing. But it sounds like you're doing really good stuff, and I'm sure it's going to be successful. So let's talk a bit more about Tukuru. How many people are working with you guys right now, and where are you guys working out of? So we are a team of seven. We have our three co-founders and two developers working on part-time, obviously. Two people, one in Germany and one here, that working on kind of sales biz dev position. And we have two advisors on our team. And where's your offices at? And we have a small place in Herzliya Pituach. Is it like an open space, like we're in Mindspace now? It's Is like it a friend's place. Really like a garage style. Yeah, very, very garage style. <laughs> And so, uh, what is the next goal, and are you guys hiring? We're not hiring yet. The next goal is to raise money in order to hire people. Fair enough. All right, we are now moving on to the second part of the interview, which is a bit quicker. We call it the camel race. People think of camels when they think of Israel, so I think it's fitting to the startup camel name. Desert and camels. Yeah, deserts and camels. You know, it's funny because I don't know how much of Israel actually was just deserts and camels early on, but it's what it's become, especially Tel Aviv, is just it's incredible. Witnessing it and being here is just unbelievable. So, first question, what wakes you up in the morning? Every day starts with new tasks. Sometimes, you know, mail comes in during the night and you instantly want to follow up on that. Sometimes it just... something that keeps you up. It doesn't keep you up, but something that you think about the, the day before and you found the resolution, so you want to execute, so. For sure. So that kind of brings us to the, the morning routine. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? Well, apart from the being a father, morning routine and making sandwiches, et cetera, addressing the more startup part of the morning. Yeah, so I will go through emails coming in through the night, check my schedule for the day, see that I'm not missing anything, and then 
dig in sometimes just going out to meetings. Because we live in this high-tech world, I mean, all over the world it works like this, but especially here in Israel, you know, you're on different time zones all the time. Like, you're working around the world, around the clock. I mean, it's an aggressive schedule, huh? Indeed. How many hours do you work on the average day? As much as I can. All my waking hours. All my waking hours. Yeah. I always like to say I, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of thing, you know. I actually hate sleeping. I know we need it, but, like... What's happening when you're sleeping? It's so boring. I mean, even if you have the greatest dreams ever, you wake up and that's not real. I mean, that's a waste of my time. I wish I could just inject sleep like a drug and be done and stay awake, you know. Glimpse into your toolbox. Give us one tool that you think that everyone should know about, whether it's an app or a piece of software, hardware. Well, I'm using to-do list application called Wonderlist. I tried a lot because I really need something that will help me write down notes and tasks, etc. And I found that to be most efficient application. Okay. Give us a small change that you made that had a really big impact on your productivity. Coming out of uh, summer vacation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tend to be very productive, so I didn't really change a lot. How do you stay inspired and motivated through the harder, lower roller coaster times? So again, it's, a, it's an excellent question. and I think it's something that every entrepreneur needs to be uh, conscious of. We must have friends or family or advisors, in my case, it's all of the above, that we can talk to. I'm talking with friends like Erez you mentioned earlier, and have friends that already have a successful startup that raised money and have customers. And, and of course, my advisory that come from very rich uh, life experience so that whenever I, I'm in a situation when I need to get some inspiration because all of them will eventually give me a very good advice and will practically help raising me from the lower point of the day. For sure. It's good to have uh, people out there that are going to keep you moving and help you stay the course, basically. Sure. It leads into the, yeah, it's tough sometimes. I think just life lesson wise, you know, I think that when something is viewed as negative or positive, it's all how we're taking in the information and spitting out how we decide to react to it, you know? And in general, there's always going to be highs and lows and ups and downs. But if you see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know it's going to work out. Then as you come up with the bumps in the road, you could just come up with solutions for these bumps. And I think that's the key to staying positive and maintaining because you could stay focused and all that stuff. But it brings us to the next question. You said errors already and some other people. Who do you seek advice from? So, as I mentioned, my advisory. What does it mean, your advisory? I have, we have, we have you have two, an advisory board or something? Yeah, we have two, I have two people, uh, two on, people the on the advisory board. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That so, makes sense that you take advice from them. Sure. And they <laughs> both bring a lot of experience, especially one of them was responsible for emerging markets. So, for instance, they have a very interesting opportunity in India in a very challenging emerging market like business opportunities so it makes perfect sense to understand you know how should I charge them what should I expect what should I not expect yeah 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 if you could go back in time along the startup journey what would you have done differently well first is the investing in marketing from day one that what we've talked about it's very uh, important second I would try to be more realistic of the time that it will take this venture to start. We were very naive when we started it, and we should have planned ahead in terms of the time that will take us to accomplish our achievement. What would be your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? Well, you have to believe in your idea every day, in every part of the roller coaster, and if you don't believe in that, it will show out. So even if you are 
very close to end of life for the venture or business that goes really bad, when you come to a meeting, regardless of a customer, partner, podcast, venture, you have to believe in that because it shows. For sure. Once you start believing, it's kind of dead, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. If it's almost dead and you're so believing, you could be meeting that next person who's going to change it for you. I'm into that. As long as you believe in it, they're going to see it. They're going to see it. And that's like 90% of the money, I think, getting pumped into the startup world is like they're putting it to the people because they believe in the people. And if you're believing in what you're working in, it's going to be a lot easier for you to get things done. We are in the center of the startup nation. You know, there's so many great, innovative, inspiring ideas like yours happening, people working on things. Give us a company you think that we should all be looking out for. I think you should follow a cool company called Bazart. They are doing very interesting consumer-focused application or creative application that allows you to create all sorts of cool designs, even if you are not a designer yourself. They are very cool product and some support for Android, which we try to... Uh, push for that for a long Ooh, time. Ooh, Android. I love iPhone, you know. Well, they started with that, so you're, you're good there. I would be happy to make the intro, of course. Amir, this has been a really fun and interesting interview. You're working on some cool stuff. I can't wait to hear about the future. Tell us how to reach you, and we'll say goodbye. Okay, so thank you very much for this. I enjoyed it a lot. And I can be reached at amir at tukoro.com. It's T-U-K-U-R-O. You will see it down this page and we'll be happy to meet with anyone who's looking to integrate voice interaction awesome really a pleasure amir i really enjoyed it and it sounds really cool so cool coming up next in episode 35 door schooler one of the founders of intuition robotics and leq comes in to share about some amazing technology for seniors thanks for listening 